Thank you, Pastor. It's good to be here tonight. Appreciate the testimony of our brother. That was a blessing. I got a testimony when I first walked in this evening. One of the gentlemen said that was a great message this morning. I was asleep in the first five minutes of it. I think the man's heart is as black as his last name, just to be honest with you. <laughs> get a hundred <laughs> percent. I was in Dallas um, the Monday after Easter. Of course, it's always Monday after Easter. The day after Easter. And sitting there in the airport, and a bunch of folks got off the plane that I was going to ride home on. And I said, we don't have to wear a mask. No mask. We don't have to wear a mask. And I looked over, and there was a pilot sitting next to me. And I said, is that true? He said, yeah, that's true. And I put this suit on this afternoon, and there's my mask. I'm done with that thing. Thank God for that. I did notice this, that several people look a lot better with a mask on than they do without one. Uh, so that's kind of been a little disconcerting, I guess. I better put that back in my pocket. We might have to do it again someday. I hope not. I hope not. I hope all that business is over. But I'm interested in revival. I think your pastor is. I think you folks are. Uh, you know, the definitive verse on revivals over there in Second Chronicles chapter 7, where it talks about if we humble and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, that God would hear us. And we could get the help that we need. And I, I'm not a great uh, outliner. I think your pastor is. I, I'm not a great alliterator. I think your pastor is. I just talk. But I looked at those four words, humble, pray, seek, and turn. And I got a little outline. Maybe you can use it, preacher. He said, if we humble ourselves, that's brokenness. Brokenness. And I think you get broken and humbled when we recognize what we really are and who he really is. And like has been testified tonight and the songs tonight, uh, that we could be involved in his work and have a hope not a hope-so hope, but a definite hope, a blessed hope of living with him in heaven forever. Amen. Brokenness. Then pray. That's beseeching. Uh, that's really getting hold of God. I, I would pray uh, that folk this week, that we would pray together. Now, there's people, I've been coming here six, seven years now, this time of the year, and I think we had to miss the COVID year, if my memory's right, we did, didn't we? I think we did. I think we skipped that, you know, because of Mr. Fauci and the Wuhan flu. But, and I got, listen, I've got 12, 15 dear friends of mine that got it and went to heaven. I don't think they're complaining now uh, that they're there. Uh, but I tell you, it's been quite a, quite a trip. But uh, I got names that I pray for that people in this church has asked me to pray for their children, their grandchildren, their husband, their wife. And you're on my written down prayer list. My father had a tremendous prayer list. Uh, he prayed hours and hours and hours and hours every day for decades. 
to let the final prayer list they made a I don't know somebody in the family probably typed it up they misspelled words and I mean it was a mess but there were 2,991 names on that prayer list and some of it would be just uh, Reverend Jones and family and my dad knew the wife's name and the children's name there's no doubt that my father prayed for at least 5,000 to 8,000 people every single day for decades. He would always tell me when he talked to me on the phone, he said, son, I pray for you nine times a day. I said, how about putting it up to 10, Pop? I need a little bit more. But I don't think we can pray too much to you. If we would humble ourselves and pray, we'd be broken and we'd beseech God and then seek my face. And I think a little B that would go with that is burden for God to seek God, to find God, and to follow God's will for our lives. To be burdened about where we are and where we could be, what we are and what we should be in the Lord. And then the last little thought, turn. Turn for a behavioral change. Turn from your wicked ways, a behavioral change. You know, God wants us to turn, but, you know, a lot of people, you can't even turn off social media, let alone turn from your wicked ways. We have Christians in America can't even turn the television off. How are we going to turn from our wicked ways? God help us to turn. I thought about that. I wrote that little outline down, and I think Brother Gravely remembers. Maybe some of you were there. I was preaching at Faith Camp, and I was preaching on the prodigal son and his brother, and some guy got upset about what I said, and I don't know. I never heard a word he was saying, uh, but he jumped up. He was right in the front row, and he was, boy, he was upset with what, and then fellas grabbed him and hauled him out of there. I was never overly concerned about it until they told me afterwards that the guy had a gun. Now, what a thing to get shot while you're preaching. I guess that'd be a good way to go. But what I had said, talking about social media, all I had said was that uh, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter were going to merge. And they were going to call it you twit face. And that upset that, that guy for some reason. I think he had a huge Facebook ministry, whatever that is. I, you know, that is way beyond my comprehension. You know, I, I never thought I'd become an old evangelist, but I guess I am. And I've been preaching revival since 1976. And uh, when I would sit in my father's church and for years and old preachers like me now would come. They would, take, uh, they would take a night of the meeting to preach to the home, to the family. And I haven't done that, but the Lord really put it upon my heart uh, tonight to talk to you along those lines. And I want you to look in your book, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And... Uh, We'll begin our reading in verse number 57. I think 
if my message could tonight, if you'd allow it in your own life, uh, to correct some things perhaps, perhaps in your past. And then implement some things that would might conserve the present. And make a vow to God to consecrate the future in regard to your family. I want you to look at verse 57, and I'm, I'm just going to pull a thought out, but I want to give you a little background, and I think you know what's going on here in this chapter. Now, Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had shewed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, not so, but he should be called John. They said unto her, there's none of that kindred called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have, called, how he would have him called. Now, it's always been a little uh, disconcerting to me why they would have to make signs uh, to a man who could hear, he just couldn't speak. He'd been struck dumb, a mute. He could not communicate, but uh, I'm sure the Bible didn't say he couldn't hear, uh, but they did it that way anyway. And I'll go along with those folks. Verse 63, and he asked me for a writing, and he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. They marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, I want to talk to you tonight from that little phrase. It's an exclamation in verse number 66. What manner of child shall this be? My thought is this. Why uh, second generation Christians seem to fail? What manner of child shall this be? On my father's side, I'm a fifth generation Christian. My mother's side of the family, I'm a fourth generation Christian. So way back down the road of life over a century ago, my forefathers or foremothers received the Lord and it's been passed down from generation to generation. And now my children, I was in the car a few weeks ago with Jordan's your church supports him, and I'm grateful for it. But I was with his whole oldest child. She's about to graduate high school here in a couple, three weeks. And I asked her, and I'm going to do this. I have eight grandchildren. I'm going to ask every one of them. I want a personal testimony. I don't want to hear what their mother says happened. Because mamas can't save anybody. And I don't want to hear what their dads have to say. I don't want the parents to put words in those children's mouths. 
The Holy Ghost tells us that we're saved. He bears witness with our spirit that we pass from death unto life. I don't need mama or daddy to tell me anything about what God has done in my heart. And so she was in the car and I asked, I said, honey, won't you tell me how you got saved? Don't you give me your testimony? She gave me such a glowing testimony of the grace of God. She'd made a profession as a little child, but she said a couple of years ago at a youth camp, she got it settled and got born again. I rejoiced in my heart. Her spirit bore witness with my spirit and the Holy Spirit that, that, that something wonderful had happened in her life. It's so important. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'll give you a few thoughts tonight. I don't intend to be long, but I have unintentionally been long at times. Father in heaven, we're grateful tonight to be here. It's a wonderful crowd of people that have come out on a Sunday evening. And I don't think they came to hear me necessarily. They came to be in the house of God. They came to hear from you. And I pray that you would take this often in my own estimation, this worthless vessel. And you would use my voice to supernaturally speak to the inner man down to the depths of the souls of folk in this room and that lives could be changed, futures could be brighter, hope, hope for hopeless situations would be helped. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. One of the reasons that I believe that second generation Christians and maybe when you get down to third generation Christians and fourth generation Christians have, it seems like a difficult time. Uh, and I know all of my family's progeny are not uh, success stories. There's some negatives in our lives and I wouldn't presume upon you uh, to tell you of them. I, I sat with your pastor last night. He told me one of the most harrowing stories I think I've ever heard. I hope to never hear a worse story of someone who had a family member and often the, the wickedness, the most wickedness of the world they had gone, their child, was a preacher. I preached a meeting uh, it was a mission conference. A guy was having just mission conference uh, Sundays is what he was having, the month of March. And I preached and his son who would, had been his assistant and been the song leader and involved had left his wife. And the family, his little daughter and his wife sat in the second row with an empty spot for the husband and daddy and his Bible laying there. He didn't need it anymore, the direction he was going and the life that he was living. And I went to the pastor's home. I didn't 
it was an hour's drive. I didn't want to drive home and drive back. And so I went to the pastor's house and, and uh, had a private place and uh, got some rest and, and uh, came up to have a little snack before we went to church. And I hadn't broached the subject with them. I knew about what had taken place earlier. And I said, how's it going? And they both began to weep. And the father said, as brokenhearted a man as I think I've ever encountered in my life, he said, we don't even know our son. We don't even know him. A good home, good parents, sold out people. Why does it happen? I think sometimes it comes from disappointment. You remember the first family there in the garden? And uh, they were told, the two boys, to bring sacrifice. One brought a lamb. What a tremendous prophetic thing that was. But the other brought the works of his own hands. And the Bible says in Genesis 4 and 5, that when he found out that his offering was not accepted, that his countenance fell. He was disappointed. The dis disappointments of life are constant. I think his, in his case, his religious commitment had been questioned. His role in life had been Affected. Do you ever think about this? Now, I don't know a lot about DNA, but it's become a big topic. You know, everybody knows there's a big long word what it means. They just use those three letters. Would you ever think about it tonight? That somewhere in the, I don't know how many tens of thousands of little particles of DNA are in each and every one of us in this room. That somewhere there's a little particle of Cain. It's a little bit of Cain in every one of us. Thank God the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of that if we commit and surrender to him completely in consecration. A strange thing in the Bible I've noticed I'm the oldest in my family, and so when it talks about elder brothers, I kind of perk up a little bit. In Genesis chapter 25 and also in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 12, it talks about how the elder brother shall serve the younger. That took place, you know, in uh, Esau and Jacob. That took place... Uh, David, you know, he served his elder brothers and yet he superseded them. He excelled over them. Joseph served his elder brothers. They mistreated him, you know that. But eventually he reigned over them. He excelled. And, but I tell you, I can't hard, I can never read those last four or five chapters of the book of Genesis without weeping. You can see those arrogant boys come there two separate occasions and Joseph could hardly contain himself wanting to embrace those fellas 
And that prophecy, that dream that he had decades, a decade or so later, earlier, shows up and those boys all bow before him. I think some of it comes from competition. I think his relationship was challenged somewhat. In verse 9, there in the book of Genesis, the Lord spoke to him and said, Where is thy brother Abel? We don't like to be confronted with our sin. I've noticed this too. Sometimes kids that grow up in church They don't have the same level of commitment as some guy who's out in the world gets converted and then he just shines so brightly. I don't know if you're having an election uh, here next week, but our uh, primary is next week. I've already voted uh, by uh, ballot legally doing it the right way. And... uh, there's been, there's four or five guys running for Senate. Our senator has been a senator a long time. He's retired. Boy, there's a bunch of guys uh, trying to get his position. And about two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, Mr. Trump, he uh, recommended or uh, put his stamp of approval on a guy named J.D. Vance. And a lot of people don't like, I didn't vote for him. I think he might be all right if he wins the primary. He's surely better than the other kind of guys. I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative more than I am a Republican. And I'm a Christian more than I am a conservative. But I think a Christian makes you a conservative. And I'm not taking the next step. And there's a, there's a Jew... Uh, running, who I think is a good man. He says all the right things. The guy I voted for, he says all the right things, good things. But none of them got Trump's approval, stamp of approval, or whatever term you use, recommendation or whatever, but this guy named Vance. And Trump made an interesting uh, statement about this because this guy hated Trump. Matter of fact, in the presidential election, that Mr. Trump won against the witch of Endor. (laughs) He said, this guy Vance said, I will vote for Hillary before I'd vote for Trump. And he called Trump all kinds of bad names. And of course, when they have the political, you know, stuff, they, boy, they put, and you, we get it in the mail. They get you on the telephone. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, thank God when it's all done and over with. And then, you know, they start up again with another one. But this is what Mr. Trump said about this, this fella. He said, converts make better candidates. I just, so he's, he's saying that Vance, the guy who's running, he is a convert to Trumpism, whatever that is. And so that makes you better than people that stuck with him through thick and thin in the past. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was interesting to me. I think think bad sinners 
wicked people off the street that get saved like some of you. How, how many people in this room, just by uplifted hand, you are the first person in your family that got saved. Would you raise your hand? Not very many. You see that? Not a half a dozen in this entire room. So all the rest of us, we're right where what I'm talking about tonight. What happens to us? Sometimes I think you hear this testimony of this guy that got saved off the street out of a life of dope. And some of these young people say, well, I'd like to try that for myself. That's a fool thing to do. I'd like to be promiscuous. I'd like to take a line of coke. There was a guy, there was a basketball player. My memory's right. His name was Len Bias. He... He was drafted, I think, number two by the Boston Celtics. Great basketball player, great future. He celebrated that the night that he uh, was drafted second with a line of coke, went into convulsions, and died. What a celebration. What a fool thing. I think sometimes... Young people are deceived by familiarity. There's two tremendous men mentioned in 1 Samuel, Eli and Samuel. And Eli had two boys, Hophni and Phinehas. They, they were jerks. I mean, they went bad. Hophni and Phinehas got stealing the offerings that came to the house of God and laying with the women. Samuel had two boys, one named Joel and the other Abiah. And those two boys, they went after the money and they took bribes and they polluted judgments. They had decisions to make, but if you give me some money, I, I'll give you a break. Sometimes, we're too familiar and careless with holy things. It's a, it's, a, it's a minor thing, maybe in your mind. But that book right there, Dad, forgive me, okay? My dad would never put another book on top of the Word of God. That's the song book. That's not a bad book. That's maybe the second best book in the world. But it's not the best book. He would never put a handkerchief like that on the Word of God. It was prominent. It was preeminent. And it ought to be in our homes. This should be the book. Back when we were raising kids, Dr. Spock, people got following him. What a bunch of fools. Raised a generation of hippies is what it did. Helped destroy our, the greatness of our country. Good old Nadab and Abihu, those folks that offered 
strange fire on the altar. Listen, the church, young people, moms and dads, the church is not a place to come and court. Church surely is not a place that we would steal from in our tithes and offering. Church is not a place where you would bully other people, be unkind to people, you ought to have this hospitality haven or whatever you call the thing. What an encouragement that would be to someone at the house that can't get out. You know, every once in a while, I'm real faithful to them. I got two P.O. boxes. One's P.O. box one, Day Heights, Ohio, 45150. The other one's P.O. box one, Terrace Park, Ohio, 45174. And every once in a while, I go to those post office boxes. I hope you got that post office one. Can you remember that? Every once in a while, I get a check in the mail from somebody. It's an encouragement. It's a blessing to get a check in the mail. I just thought about your Brother Green, and thank God you had such an easy P.O. box, you know. If you need those after service, let me know. You know, it's strange to me that Samuel's boys knew what had happened to Hophni and Phinehas, and yet they did what they did. They didn't, they didn't get it. My dad, my dad said, if he said it once, he said it 10,000 times. Sin is stronger than good sense. Sin is stronger than good sense. Some of the dumb things that Christians do. My goodness. You know, there's some things you, you don't do in church. Uh, you know, I'm an old man. An old man. I guess this is what we do now. God help you. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't taken an inventory of the church service tonight. I haven't gone up and down the pews. I haven't looked. But Mom and Dad, this ain't a place. This ain't a playpen. You don't bring some other book so Johnny can read it. You don't bring a toy so people can play with it. I heard about a preacher one time. He had a kid, a little old kid, maybe five, six years old, sitting there in the second or third row, you know, where you got that little place there, little armrest. He had a little one of them little toy cars, and he's going, vroom, vroom, vroom. And the pastor had about enough of that. He said, stop it, son. And the little kid went, <laughs> You want to play? Take him to the nursery. The church sometimes has become, the church has become a playhouse when it ought to be tantamount to the holy of holies. You know, in Europe, and I've preached, I don't know, but I, my days of going overseas, I think, are over because you've got to get a shot, and I really don't want to get that shot. I've heard so much about the shot, I don't want to get the shot. And I don't want to get the stuff that it supposedly helps you not get, too, because my wife had it, and, buddy, she got it. I didn't get it. I've never had it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I may have a natural immunity. Probably goes... You know, God takes care of dumb people, so that's why. 
you know, I would preach over there in Europe, and the, and, and the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other. In churches with thousand people, men on one side, women on the other side. They didn't, they didn't have anybody fooling around and passing notes. And this is not the place to do that. I know the stories and the songs. And sometimes those things are not real in our lives. Sometimes we think they're uh, just anecdotes from a fairyland. God help us. I was in Romania preaching, and there were a couple other guys. There was a fellow, he had a wonderful church. I used to preach for him in uh, Graz, uh, Austria. Just a beautiful, I mean, surrounded by the Alps, just uh, Austrian Alps, just a beautiful, beautiful place. Had a lovely river flowed right through there. And uh, he had been in a a rock band. Matter of fact, I think I've got it at the house someplace. I've never played it. He gave me a a uh, big 78 record of him and his band. Yeah, we're up in upstate New York, up in Rochester, New York, where he's from. Man, he had long hair, just a mess, all bunch, bunch of hippies, you know, back in the day. And I've never listened to it. I didn't really, I, I do have a, I still have a record player, though, at the house. Uh, don't give me any records. I don't want any. I don't have time to listen to them. But uh, the kids in the church were, uh, the Romanian church, they were putting Christian music, Christian words to uh, rock songs. And so in the morning, they sang a song. I don't know, some of you, you know, carnal people like me sometimes, uh, or excuse, I should say carnal people like my wife sometimes. Uh, she listens to music from the 60s on her car. And uh, so these guys, they put Christian words to a Beatles song called Imagine. You know, imagine if there was no hell, imagine if there was no heaven. And they put Christian words to it. So this fellow who knew a lot about music, this preacher friend of mine, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have take it to teenagers. I don't want them doing that. It's a terrible thing to, uh, you know, put those Christian words to godless music. So he had a two or three hour seminar in the afternoon teaching these kids what was wrong about it and you shouldn't do it and, and on and on and on. So that night they got up and sang a song to the tune of uh, the House of the Rising Sun, which is an old rock music that's probably worse than Imagine. When he was done, I said, after the service, I said, his name was Helmut Ghetto. I said, Helmut, you sure did a good job with those kids. You really got through to them, I tell you. I think another thing simply tonight is curiosity. The prodigal son in the 15th chapter of the book of Luke, so, so familiar story. I think he may have got tired of dad's old-fashioned rules and regulations. He may have gotten weary of mom's apron strings and want to see what the world had to offer. I want to enjoy my life. I, I want to dabble in sin just for a short time. I know parents who 
never had a television in their home, but their children got one. And their children's children got one. If you can find one thing positive about the television today, besides Andy Griffith's show, I'd like to know what it is. Not much there. Not much there. Parents have convictions about things and the children have none. None. I was stunned the other day. People that came to my father's funeral that grew up in that church. I won their fathers to Christ out of the, out of the world. They got born again. Their dads became fine and noble Christians. And those kids came. They're now in their 40s and 50s and look just like the world. All the markings, the physical markings of the world etched even literally upon their bodies. There was a boy that went to our Christian school way back when, started in 1974. I think he was a fifth grader then. Just got out of prison a few weeks before my father died and came back to church, all tattooed up from head to toe. God help us. Some kids... You know, you kids, you young people, you think you're missing out. You ought to thank God you're missing out on what this old world has to offer. That which is real and abiding and everlasting and vital is here in the house of God. And expounded in this old book right here. God help us. You can go out there, you'll find degradation, heartache, pain, sorrow, debauchery, social diseases. You name it, you'll find it. I had a preacher friend some years ago, daughter ran away. He didn't know if she ran away with a boy or what happened. She ran away. He got a telephone call from he was from this part of the world, Tennessee, Georgia, and out this part of the world. He got a call from the jail, jailer, sheriff. It was either Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, out in that part of the world. He said, are you Mr. So-and-so? He said, yes, I am. Do you have a daughter named such and such? He said, yes, I do. He said, we have her here in jail. We have her in the drunk tank. If you would, we would release her. If you could come, we would release her into your presence, into your power, into your hand. He said, I'll be there in two days. He drove and drove and drove and drove through the night and through the day. Went into that little police station walked into the drunk tank, his chain link fence all the way up to the ceiling. He looked down in that 
pit and there's other people there. Just, I don't know if you've ever been in jail or not. If you have been in jail, you know what it's like. If you've ever been in Jackson Prison in Jackson, Michigan, one of the most horrible places I've ever been in my life. I don't really want to, I wouldn't, just to go visit people, preach there. That little girl saw her daddy, hair all disheveled, clothes less than she's ever supposed to wear when she lived at his home. She literally climbed up that fence, screamed, Daddy, Daddy, I didn't know it'd be like this, Daddy! Sin has terrible consequences. Oh, I'd like to go. I, I'd like to go enjoy. I'd like to get in. You're a fool. You see, you can, I'd like to say this exactly the way I got it written down. One can choose any conduct, but not the consequences of that conduct. You can do anything you want to do, but you can't choose how it's all going to turn out. Mom and dad, it matters how you live at the house. It matters how you discipline that child. You say no, it means no. Doesn't mean maybe no. How many times do you have to tell a kid no? God help us. I had a friend. He was a very well-known preacher. I won't call his name. His daughter married a boy that was not of their choosing. Not of their faith. Not of their convictions. She fell in love and married him. One night, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, the beat on the front door. He opened the door and there was his daughter, hair all bedraggled, teeth loosened. He said, honey, what happened? You getting a wreck? She called her husband's name and said, no, he did it. He did it. That preacher was enraged. I don't know what daddy wouldn't be. He went over there and pistol whipped that boy. And he went to jail for it. I saw a little clip of Tim Tebow in a jail preaching or testifying or whatever he does. East of Jacksonville, Florida. That preacher was in the congregation while Tim Tebow was talking to him. A man who had a church run four or five hundred, maybe, maybe seven, eight hundred. I've been, I preached in the building years and years ago. You see, the end result of rebellion is never beautiful. 
open resistance to the authority that God puts over us is very costly. We owe allegiance. If you're a saved, born-again child of God, you owe an allegiance to our Heavenly Father. If you're a child, you owe an allegiance to your parents. There's scores of people in this room whose dads have died. Mine just died 80 days ago. One of the strangest feelings I've ever had in my life was the day after my dad died. And I went through my prayer list. I pray for my wife. She's number one. Pray for the boys and their families. Pray for some preachers got children that are just in big problems. And I came to my dad's name. I didn't have to pray for him anymore. And I prayed for him way near the end of the, my prayer list. And I just called him preacher there. And I didn't have to pray for him. And the thing thundered into my mind. Here's this man that has been always here over my shoulder. I didn't want to do anything to disgrace my father. I didn't want to do anything, and I did as a teenager. I was the black sheep of the Green family. I'm the one that went off into the world. I'm the one that tried all that stuff. My brothers didn't, my little sister didn't. But I did. I didn't want to discourage my father. I didn't want to disappoint my father. And then you have that person that's always been there, and he's not there anymore. But our Heavenly Father, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always there. He's always there. I think sometimes, and I got to quit, I think negative things happen out of innocence, especially in second-generation Christians. They grow up in a spiritual atmosphere and uh, a cleaner environment spiritually, domestically, and it ought to be. And maybe sometimes they're less perceptive. They're more susceptible to the deception of the enemy. I don't think a lot of people understand how potent our enemy is. I read of a, in a religious paper of an eighth grade Alabama girl, 14 years of age. She lived with her great-grandmother. She said this, I cannot pinpoint a specific date that I was saved. I grew up hearing the Bible read every morning and every night. In the story, she quoted Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. She said, I had the Bible read to me for as long as I can remember, so I don't recall hearing the way of salvation at any time. I heard it all the time. And I just thought, 
that was good enough. I don't know if that is good enough. I think there needs to be a time. There needs to be a, I don't even want to use the word anecdote. There must be a specific moment in time when you get birthed into the family of God. You get born again. The pastor's precious daughter is here and she's about to have a baby, celestial. And there will be a specific day when that child is born. A specific moment in time. It's already been conceived in my mind. When anybody would abort a child, it's murder. You have killed, these doctors have killed over 60 million babies in our land. How could we ever expect God to bless us as a nation? I think what we allow in weakness as parents, sometimes our children practice to excess. Now let me give you just four simple thoughts, less than five minutes. How to help this situation. In Genesis chapter 42 and 22, in the story of Joseph and all that was going on there, the little phrase, do not sin against the child. That was Reuben, the eldest brother, said that. Those boys threw him down the pit. He, I don't know where Reuben went out to get a cup of coffee or something. He comes back and they'd sold, they'd sold Joseph into Egypt. There's a great statement, great question in Judges 13 and 12. How shall we order the child? How can I raise these kids? Get some help. You get help at church. You get help from your pastor. You get help from Sunday school teachers. You get help by keeping kids in. Listen, you will regret the day when you didn't spend time with your children in family altar. I have read the King James Bible out loud to all three of my boys. I figured if they never got it through, in their own time, I was going to get them through it once. You see, that takes some, it took a long time. It took 15 years probably for me to do that. But I wasn't home every day. I traveled a lot. It's a strange day when men feel that they can deliver sinners in the power of the flesh. I'm going to give you this last little thought. In 1 Samuel 1 and 27, his mama said, for this child, I prayed. Get concerned. I can see it as clearly as I can see this big boy sitting right here. 21, 24, Luana Drive. There were six of us kids. We had to walk, you know, maybe from, probably from here to the corner down here to catch school bus. So, you know, we weren't in the bad old days. You know, some of you people walked a mile uphill coming and going to school. I know all that. But my mom, we used to, there would be a couch right there. And my mother, God bless her sainted memory, 
Be down on her knees. She had a royal red Bible, or a red royal Bible, however you want to say it. And she'd be down on her knees. We'd walk out going to school. And she'd say, Tim, I'm praying for you today. Because I, I would say more times than not, my attitude was, I could care less. Care if you're praying for me, Mom. But those prayers of that precious saint, yes. they worked. Yes. And she lived, she died at 45, but she lived to see her boy get saved. And she lived to hear her son preach. Yes. She didn't know what to call me. You know, she wanted to be respectful. So she called me Reverend Tim. There was a precious woman that just died in Alabama, Helen McCormick. Her husband was a colonel in the Air Force, and they, was, they were at my father's church for three or four years. He was head of ROTC at Michigan State University. Genuine, real, born-again child. of Both of them, saints. And she just died here a couple weeks ago. And she always called me Reverend Tim. She, I thought she was the last person in the world that called me Reverend Tim until her son, who pastors a great church down there in Dothan, Alabama, and I think he just did it out of memory to his mother. He, I sent some flowers, and, and he, they sent a little note, and down to, he said, thank you, Reverend Tim. I, I, I don't mind if you call me Reverend Tim, but that's just some old people that died. The question asked, really it was an exclamation, what manner of child would this be? How is this boy that God has given me? How's he going to turn out? How's his precious little daughter? These seven granddaughters that I have now, and one grandson. How is it going to turn out? What kind of child are you tonight sitting in these pews? Are you saved? Are you just fooling around with it. It's a vital thing, mom and dad, to be the kind of testimony in front of your children in everything. I got a good preacher friend and I'm done. <laughs> he was in the car. He had three sons like I did or do. And, uh, he was in traffic going someplace. Somebody cut him off, did something. He said a word he shouldn't have said. It's a word that probably most men in this room have said at one time or another in their life. He pulled a car over the side of the road. Tears in his eyes, he apologized to his boys for saying that word. It wasn't a filthy word, but it was a wrong word. boys are serving God today. One of them is his assistant pastor today. Pretty good going. I tell you, Dad, you, you, there's nothing wrong with apologizing to your kids when you do something stupid. I've had to do it. I know I'm gone a little bit long. 
because I don't want to hear any more sad stories from preacher's kids, church members' children. I want to see you all live for God. Determined that me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, period. No questions asked. Nothing takes precedence. The work of God, the things of God, the book of God, the life of God in our hearts.